We're live. Welcome, my friends. Today on the Kyle Serafin Show, we have a wonderful guest who agreed to come talk to us. I heard her story only in part while I was driving back from the SHOT Show in Vegas. And uh, I told her I didn't want to hear any more until I heard it from her mouth. I didn't want it secondhand. So we're going to get the uh, the original reaction on this. There's no rehearsals and there's very little background. Um, her name is Amy Nelson. She's an attorney. She is a mother of four wonderful, very cute little girls, which we'll, uh, we'll show you her, uh, her Twitter page here. She's a wife and an entrepreneur, and she is also the host of the What's Her Story with Sam and Amy podcast. Uh, the founder of the Riveter Company, which we'll also throw in the description uh, below, so you guys can check out that link. And uh, I want to welcome her right now, and we'll jump right into this thing with no further ado. Uh, Amy, welcome to the Kyle Serafin Show. Thanks so much for having me. And we're really lucky because we have producer Phil today, because usually when I do these things solo, they're always a little bit more sketchy. So <laughs> I got Phil. He's 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 left me alone. I was in a hotel in Vegas doing a taping by myself, and I had no one. It was just me, just just winging it. That's frightening. <laughs> you never want to do it. it is. Alone. Yeah. No, it's never good. It's never good to go alone. Um, tell us a little bit about where you grew up and and uh, how you got to this point. And we'll do kind of a quick intro, folks. Um, I know I've gone a little long in some of these, so we're going to keep this kind of tight. And then we're going to get into a story, which is wild. Yeah. So I grew up in Columbus, Ohio with a great family um, and then went away to college when I was 18. I went to Emory University, studied international studies, and then went to law school at NYU. And okay. I ended up ended up working in New York as a commercial litigator for a number of years. And then eventually I met my husband um, and we moved to Seattle together. Uh, he joined Amazon Web Services, which at the time was a little subsidiary of amazon.com. Uh, and I kept lawyering until I became a mother. And then when I became a mother, I was really struggling in corporate America to kind of both see my, my daughter and work, which were two things I, I wanted to do. So right. I thought I would go out on my own as a lawyer and started going to classes on how to write a business plan and do all those things and figured out that women didn't really have support and community around starting businesses. So sure. I built a business called The Riveter to do just that. And this is based on Rosie the Riveter? Is that kind of where it's coming from? It is. It's based on Rosie the Riveter, which was you know a time when women were called to the workforce to support the American war efforts and really rose to the occasion. And so just to kind of pay homage to that, to those incredibly patriotic and amazing women. For sure. Absolutely. Um, it's got to be tough too, just trying to balance out being a mother, especially now that you have four. With yes. one, it's a challenge and, and we have three. Um, you know, my wife is, also has a professional degree and it's one of those things that I think is a, it's a big challenge and she opted, you know, to stay and just deal with them because they're full speed, especially boys and girls mixed up and um, you know, how does that challenge, uh, factor into being uh, attorney is pretty demanding work usually and running but a attorney, company can't yeah. be. Yeah. I mean, being an attorney, the thing about being an attorney, so I worked as a litigator, so it's client services, which I think a lot of people forget, like you're just at the beck and call of your clients and it's completely right. unpredictable. And at the time we lived in Seattle, my husband was traveling constantly for Amazon. So I was really alone. Um, and my amazing mother who had retired from 35 years as a public school teacher came out and helped me. Oh, that's um, big. It just didn't feel like a great fit. I think ultimately for me too, as a lawyer, um, and this is ironic when we go into my story, but I really felt like lawyers were like hindering innovation. They were kind of like had made themselves very necessary, but I, they didn't really contribute a lot and I really wanted to contribute. And so that's why I watched people building businesses as a lawyer. And I said, I want to be on that side of this. That seems to be more interesting to me. 
It's funny. I had a, a, a kind of a funny experience in law enforcement. Uh, we have attorneys at the FBI. They're, you know, kind of the no factory. It's like, I got this creative idea. I want to go do this. And they're like, no, you can't do that. And then you bring up another idea. It's no, it's no. And so it's funny that it, that would also be the case in private industry. It does. It makes sense to me because they're, they're always seeing the risk and, you know, where the, where the pitfalls are and people who are innovators and people who are entrepreneurs are always seeing what the possibilities are and the goals um, and so, yeah, they're kind of antithetical to each other with the way that they sort of lined up their goals, right? They really are until and unless you get a company like Amazon that's big enough that they don't play by the rules. And they just crush everybody. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I think I think there are obviously uh, examples of the brick and mortar end. That was Walmart for a long time. Um, just steamrolled through, didn't care about litigation, didn't care about regulations. They could go through and make that happen. And obviously, Amazon stepped into that space in a big way. Yeah, and there's, um, a name so, for it. there's a name for it. They call it lawfare when you use the law right. as warfare. And uh, I think that's a interesting, interesting way to describe it. Well, so my my uh, listeners who are, uh, you know, big kind of advocates of things like Second Amendment and, and now First Amendment, I think, has also been a big issue since the Twitter files will be okay. familiar with that because it's the only way that you can really fight back. Unfortunately, it's usually very expensive and it usually takes some very courageous souls in small industry to go step up against these big guys because they can just stomp you. I mean, it really does. And I think when I practiced law in New York, I practiced First Amendment law. And when I went into First Amendment law, I thought I would be working for media, et cetera. And it was interesting because I ended up working a lot around business and businesses who needed their First Amendment rights protected. And, sure, um, you know, it is the look, we have very, we actually have very few rights and the rights that are enshrined are important. And so yep. however they come to manifest, it's really important that we that we care and that we try to keep them. It's funny. My uh, my colleague, who is another FBI whistleblower, just wrote a piece on the Third Amendment, which is probably the forgotten amendment in the Bill of Rights um, that nobody really thinks about. But he had a really interesting take on it. And it's funny that you say that. We, I mean, we do need to protect our rights. There's only a few of them. It's, it's, they're, they're supposed to be cordons where the government's not supposed to intrude. And we act like the government has granted them to us. And I think that fundamental shift has been really, you know, it's really dangerous for Americans who don't understand civics. Yeah, I agree. And it is it's also interesting, too, because I feel like our rights are politicized a lot and they shift Mm -hmm. with the winds. Like if you look at 20 years ago, progressives and Kyle, you know this, but I identified as a progressive my entire life. Yeah, we're going to get into that in a second (laughs) because I think um, think it's really interesting. Yeah. But, um, you know, progressives hated the FBI, right? In the post 9-11 era, it was, you know, it's just so against the FBI. And now progressives are just so pro-FBI because they believe that the FBI is taking on something Trump that they don't like. Right. And it's really dangerous for both progressives and conservatives to politicize our rights and the agencies that were built to allow us to keep those rights. 100% agree with you. It's funny. I, um, I've i seen some some memes that have been out there on the internet, and there's a lot of very creative, intelligent people that make these. Um, and they show it. Uh, I think that uh, the Elvin King, whatever his name is, uh, Elrond, I think is showing, yeah. you know, the, the ring of power and, he, and and it says libertarians and it says, don't yeah. take it. And then it's got, you know, two different groups. You got Gollum who they, they had the Democrats and they had, you know, the, uh, the, the Kings of men that were the, the Republicans and everybody wants to wield the ring of power. The only thing you can do with the wing of power is either have it, you know, hidden away yeah. and apolitical, or you got to throw it in the fire. Yeah. And, uh, and it's fun that, uh, that we've seen this. I, I always told people like what I'm doing is not political. It, it shouldn't be at least. Shouldn't be. Yep. Um, and most people that I met that were in the FBI, particularly in the enforcement end, we're not political people, especially the people 10 plus years in. So that goes back to the kind of the old school, but, um, and, and you may agree with this. I think the FBI has committed pretty significant sins in every decade of its existence. And I think there's pretty good documentation for it. 
Um, I mean, I agree. Like when I, I always say to my friends who are progressive, like you are, you're so pro FBI right now. Do you remember 2016 when James Comey, you know, came out two weeks before the election and caused chaos? Like, we don't know if Hillary would have won. We don't know, but like, correct. That was an inappropriate action pursuant to FBI policy. Right. It's funny because I I think that he probably just pushed people into their own silos. I I think that the, the balance of it probably cut, it was a double-edged sword because the people that were on the liberal side, the progressive side, you know, they, they heard what they wanted to hear that she didn't do anything worth prosecution. And the people that were on the other side heard, you know, that they weren't going to prosecute and they were also mad at her. Uh, And so then, you know, I don't know that it cut either way, but, uh, but it's really dangerous to get messing around with politics. It is. It is a dangerous thing to do. So I, yeah, I've definitely learned a lot. I didn't really know anything about the FBI. <laughs> I've learned quite a lot over the past few years. So I imagine so. All right. So uh, just quick political background. You grew up at, you, in uh, Ohio uh, and then you went to New York. New York is a pretty left leaning place. Seattle, obviously very left as well. Um, you're a registered Democrat, I assume, or you at least yeah. uh, vote that way. I mean, beyond that. So I was on Barack Obama's National Finance Committee. I worked on okay. get out the vote efforts for Democrats, um, would be kind of in like the legal boiler rooms on election day for voter rights. Like spent a lot of, I worked for Jimmy Carter, not as president. I'm not that old. I'm only 42. Okay. But, um, I was going to say, has, we're, the same, we're the same age. Has, so yeah. He has an organization called the Carter Center that works on peace and democracy around the world. Yep. I worked for Jimmy Carter when I was 22, worked on elections in Ethiopia, Jamaica. Um, so, I mean, I dedicated a, a large part of my life to this. Would you say it goes as far as to say not just a uh, an advocate, but also like an activist in that realm? In I was a ways? believer. I was believer. a believer in okay. democracy, I think is yeah. how I put it. And what's funny is I think that um, when you and I were growing up, and like I say, we're, we're within an age, you know, an hour, uh, one year or so of each other. Um, I think that everybody kind of agreed on what the values looked like what America sort of was as, a, as an idea. And we disagree with how to get better about it. Mm-hmm. That was the kind of the thing. And I wasn't a political kid growing up. Like my parents didn't care. And I didn't care until I was probably in my thirties when I started having kids. Um, but essentially we all kind of agreed on the fundamental, you know, this is a good place. We can make it better. We should be striving towards a better ideal, a platonic ideal of what America is. And now it feels like there's such a big divide down the middle that people look at each other like you're an enemy. You're not even part of the same clan as me or the tribe or whatever it is. I agree. And I also think that like, I think we could get back to the place we were at as children, but I believe, and it's so hard to say all this because I feel like I sound like a conspiracy theorist, but I'm not. Like, I believe that we really live in an oligarchy where corporations dictate the laws, dictate who's elected, dictate what politicians are focused on. And then, you know, the fallout is kind of, we divide ourselves among these issues that like, if you look at like transgendered kids, that mm-hmm. is probably less than 5,000 kids in America. And it yes. dominates so much political conversation. Yep. And I would well, much rather have this be right, talking about, yeah. It's a right-wing boogeyman and right. it's a left-wing talking point. And 100%. they're both they're both feeding into media frenzy on both sides. 100%, right? It's like, if you look at like just the ink that is spilt, the time that is spilt on things that are distracting us from like making sure our kids are educated and fed. Yes. Right, the which basic, is what we should The be. basic things and that they learn how to read. Yes, and, and I don't know if you did, I mean, when I was 18, uh, 17 years old, one of the the programs that was part of, I went to a Jesuit high school. So, which actually turns out to be extremely liberal at this point. Um, uh, they're, they're like communists. <laughs> they, they all like Mark, they, they like what's called uh, liberation theology, which is a, a Marxist ideology that works its way into Catholicism. Mm-hmm. And uh, amusingly enough, like I, I think very uh, smart, we had a 500 hour minimum volunteer requirement to graduate. And so I spent a bunch of time in inner city schools in Dallas, Texas, teaching, you know, fifth and sixth graders how to read cat in the hat 
And when I was in fifth and sixth grade, we were studying and analyzing the Lord of the Rings right. as literature, as allegory. Mm-hmm. And I just look at the, the, the differential and the opportunities that this, that's going to afford those people is it's staggering at, at fifth and sixth grade that you're, you're sounding out words that are three letters. It's really horrifying. And it's not something politicians ever focus on. And, and that was 20 years ago. Yeah. And I'm certain it's worse. I mean, I've just seen what it looks like. I've seen writers. I mean, I'm sure you have too. You go out there and you read uh, what are reasonable publications and the grammatical errors and the weak sentence structure and the things that, you know, you should know how to critically work through are just, they're everywhere. And my wife is always like, God, we need an editor. Like, do do people not pay editors anymore? Well, and it goes into media, right? Which is, you know, like our journalists are supposed to be the defenders of of democracy at the end of the day, right? To shine a transparency. Well, 22 media companies own all the media, right? Like it's, that's it. It's that's it. So you'll find this funny. I spent um, about four or five hours last night in a space, uh, Twitter spaces. And, and and I like try to cut down the middle. I always try to be fair. And so people always want to bring me these like wild conspiracy theories, which I despise. Like there are things that are true that are evil. There's no question yeah. about it. And they go after good people. And we're going to get into your story very shortly. Um, but what I also find is that there's some people that have some wild ideas. Like this lady's like, you know, would you agree that Trump is still really the president and that Joe Biden is actually, it's like, no, I just, they go, you know, she gave about a paragraph long thing on the phone. And so I'm listening and I'm listening and I'm like, oh my God. And at the end of it, they go, you know, what's your reaction to that? And I go, all of that is false. <laughs> That's my only yeah. reaction. It's just nonsense. It is, but like it's, it is. And like, I understand in some ways why people go there. It's ludicrous. It's crazy. Yeah. But like, then they go on Twitter and they're like the Twitter files, which are true. Right. And I yeah. don't think that that, you know, me, Donald Trump is not president. He did not win the election. But like, well, of course not. No, no. I agree. But, but did like, did the public like was the public square, which is the Internet manipulated for sure. A hundred percent. Right. Yeah. And so you just you help people feed into those conspiracies. Well, we moreover, I think. They're looking for that unifying thread. When I always tell people is that petty corruption usually is a bunch of people doing the same sort of things, but not because they're coordinated, just because they're lousy people and they have low ethics and low morals. And yeah. so they just sort of align with these goals. And, and if they are ideologically aligned, and a lot of them are, then we end up pushing towards a direction. But uh, it's not like a bunch of guys like we saw in the X-Files. It's not, you know, 29 <laughs> guys that, uh, you know, wear overcoats and smoke cigarettes in a back room in the dark. That's not how it happens. Right. Yeah. Um, but it does feel like that. And then when you start talking about how these companies kind of do have a lot of, uh, you know, a massive hand, they're not just putting a thumb on the scale. They're putting their whole arm on it right. and they're they're tilting it. All right. So let's get into your story. How far back do you want to go? And you can tell me the beginning because I'm sure you're the expert at where to start. Well, I guess, I mean, I think like a reasonable place to start is um, April 2nd, 2020, two weeks into the pandemic. My husband Beautiful. and I are in Seattle. Uh-huh. Um we have our four little girls. The baby was, I think, eight months then. She's little. Our oldest mm-hmm. was five. My company had just kind of like exploded into a thousand pieces because the Riveter had in real life co-working and events across the country. And so everything came to a screech. We lost all of our revenue overnight. We were the um, lucky recipients of a PPP loan, yeah. um, which allowed us to keep functioning. Um, but do you, do you want to, do you mind telling people? Cause there's a lot of people that don't understand what the PPP loans did. Yeah. And I've worked some of those fraud cases, um, yeah. explain kind of what the mechanics of that was and yeah, why absolutely. we, why those were probably a good thing. So when the, oh, the shutdown orders kind of flowed throughout the country in real life, businesses had to shut down. Um, and so the business that I had built where I had leased spaces and turned them into event and co-working spaces, and then had memberships, my members stopped paying. I still had to pay my landlords, right? right? And so my business was shut down by virtue of a government act. And so, you know, right or wrong, there's lots of politics to it. It happened. Yeah, 100%. So the, 
And so the government said, well, we don't want these businesses to disappear forever. At the time, if you remember at the beginning of COVID, I think we all thought it was a short horizon event. You know, so the yeah, PPP two, loan, two weeks. <laughs> so the PPP loan was meant to be a short-term loan to keep businesses afloat. The terms of it were incredibly generous in that mm-hmm. if you used the loans to pay your existing staff and your existing operational expenses, and they were they were divided out in a certain way by the government, then you would get the loan forgiven. If you and use it was like 60% for payroll, as long as 40% went to your overhead, your rent, 100%. whatever, then you were good. So exactly. Right? Yeah. And you had to use it within eight or 24 weeks. You got to choose the term. Um, and then if you if there were if you used it for other business expenses, they wouldn't be forgiven and you would have to pay the pay that loan back at like a one percent interest rate over five or ten years. I mean, right. very generous terms for for companies dealing with a very dramatic act that we've never seen in our lifetime. Where so, did that where did the money come from? Were they coming from individual banks that were being underwritten by the government, or is the government just straight right? Like, where did this money come from? The money came from individual banks that were being underwritten by the government. But where does all okay. money come from? We just print yeah, it. Yeah, we, we just print it exactly. <laughs> we just yeah, keep printing. Yeah, it. just just quantitative <laughs> easing and solve the problem. Ease the problem. Yeah. Okay, so so, yeah, so, so you got a payroll protection. With, we're dealing with this. My husband had um, worked at Amazon Web Services, which is a subsidiary of Amazon that it's where the internet lives. So the internet lives in these big data warehouses that exist on this planet, not in the cloud. And my husband worked in real estate and he helped scout real estate locations that would be okay for data centers um, and helped work when Amazon built them themselves would help build them. Um, He had been fired from Amazon in June of 2019. He was told he was fired after seven years for yelling at a vendor Amazon's a very political place is all I can say. Yeah. My kind of guy. Sometimes you got to yell at people. I don't know. I mean, yeah. And um, it was shortly after my husband had been working on the um, Amazon's Jedi bid for their $10 billion cloud contract. You want to tell people a little bit about what that is? Because I think that's very relevant. Yeah. So I didn't really know this about Amazon, but so Amazon, we all think Amazon.com where we buy all of our things on the internet is like the big money maker and why Amazon is so successful. It's not actually their retail business is a money loser. Mm-hmm. However, their cloud business where they sell internet space is where they make all of their money. And Amazon Web Services' biggest clients are you and me as taxpayers. Amazon stores the data for the FBI, the CIA, the National Security Agency and various other government agencies. And so DOD, Amazon, I believe as well, right? Yeah, and DOD. And Amazon they makes co- massive profit, billions of dollars from the government. Mm-hmm. And at the time my husband was fired, Amazon was trying to win a $10 billion contract um, from the Department of Defense. And yeah, that's B. That's $10 billion with a B, folks. That's a big time money stuff. And that's just one of these contracts that we're talking it's about. It's just one. And in fact, like if you look at Amazon's stock, in 2013, Amazon Web Services won a $600 million CIA contract, and that forever changed the trajectory of Jeff Bezos' life and company. Amazon stock started going up and up and up and up for the next seven years because of that CIA contract. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, my husband had been fired, but that was fine. He had been planning on leaving. While he worked at Amazon, he had set up a new company and taken investment, which his employment contract explicitly allowed him to do. Um, which is important. And this is part. like the terms of his of his termination or NDA or whatever we're allowing. No, his, like, his employment contract that he signed way back in 2012 was 10 pages. Got it was it. Amazon's OG contract from the 1990s when it was a startup. Okay. And one of the things it allows you to do is like start a company and seek investment as long as the investor is not also an investor in Amazon. 
Now, this Fair. all makes sense if you think like Jeff Bezos, while he was CEO of Amazon, he's, he he bought the Washington Post. He started Blue Origin, right? He's doing all sorts of different things. And he allowed his entrepreneurial employees to do the same. Yep. So my husband had set up a company. He was really excited to go out and work on real estate development on his own, which is exactly what he did right when he yep. left Amazon. Started consulting for various developers, some of whom were working with Amazon, but Amazon doesn't sell real estate. So it wasn't like a competitive thing to Amazon, right? Amazon mm -hmm. just occupies real estate. Sure. So he goes about his life. He's incredibly successful at this. He's, you know, in his early 40s, he spent 20 years building this career to do this. And real estate development is big risk, big money. You know, it's yep. it's a big thing. I'm so proud of him. He's happy. Um, so we're two weeks into the pandemic. We think, you know, okay, we're going to have to deal with this mess with my business, but we're, I'm, I am not someone who gives up. So I was like, we're going to figure this out. And my husband's real estate development's fine. He does industrial real estate development, not impacted by COVID. If impacted at all, it's a benefit. Um, and then on April 2nd, 2020, at about 6.40 a.m., there was a knock at our door. And we had a glass door. We lived on a very busy street. Um, it was the first house we'd ever bought. Um, and I was up because I had little kids. <laughs> so, of course, I was awake. Yeah, you're, you've been up for an hour. Yeah, but generally, I think I've learned that when um, the FBI shows up your house to talk to you, they try to catch you off guard. Maybe when you're sleeping, wake you up. So I go to the front door and I'm like, who is at the door? And I have a baby on the baby on my hip, um, just in her diaper. But I'm like, did something happen overnight? Like, is this the health authorities? Like, is it the apocalypse? What is going on? Right. Right. Because, yeah, we got to put ourselves in that mindset. So this is April yeah. of 2020. Uh, we have just started doing the lockdowns for what, two and a half, three weeks. Uh, there were signs. Uh, so my my team was on surveillance driving around. I was in Albuquerque when it all shut down and we had a little baby as well. And I remember looking, it was like, yeah, is this the zombie apocalypse? Is that what's happening next? There's yeah. signs that are flashing. There's like trash blowing in the streets because nobody's walking around. Everybody's got a mask on hiding. So yeah, this would have been a, a really, really wild time to have this experience that you're about to have. Like <laughs> so, so. having been on the other side of the door and having been waiting for that door, you know, I've been waiting for that knock for the last year or so. Yeah. Um, and I'm and I'm hopeful it doesn't happen. And I know Phil has the same thoughts about it. Sometimes it's like, um, it's not good when the FBI is at your door. No, so, never so, good. <laughs> so so when you did they did you hear them banging do an FBI search warrant or what were they saying? So they were not there for a search warrant. Okay, not, th not this time. But Kyle, they yes. came in. Okay, no, but not this yeah, time. Yeah, I, I, I read that in. Yeah. <laughs> so um, they, you know, I kind of like I motioned through the door, like I shrugged my shoulders because I didn't feel like opening the door in the pandemic. And there was a woman and a man um, they didn't have on the FBI jackets. Right. Just normally they did not have masks on. And no. the woman took out her badge and it said FBI. And I was like, you know, I, I was like, I, yeah. What planet am I on? Right. I have no idea what this is. So I kind of cracked the door and they're like, is, is this Carlton Nelson's house? I'm like, yes, I'm his wife. And they're like, we'd like to speak to him. So I'm like, okay. So I call Carl down. He comes down. He was awake, but he was upstairs. And um, I'm like, the FBI is at the door. And he opens the door and they say, we'd like to talk to you about some Amazon real estate deals. And at the time we were like, oh, yeah, okay. You know, like, yeah, he worked at Amazon for a long time, did a lot of deals, like who knows. But then he, well, he invites them in. And then I look at him and I think many people would be terrified to do this, but I'm a lawyer and like, there's nothing wrong with saying this. And I looked at my husband and I said, um, you cannot talk to these people without a lawyer. That's right. <laughs> no, it's brilliant. And and we just literally covered that last night in this Twitter space. This woman says, you know, the FBI knocked on my door and I've been advised my whole life. You never talk to the bureau. You never talk to any cops. You just ask them, you know, to come back when you have a lawyer. Right. Um, and everybody invites us in. Everybody talks to us. I don't know it's, why that is. Well, it's, because, it's uncanny. 
I know why. Panic, like, I, I think don't. you're panicked. I think you, I think Americans feel like if they ask for a lawyer, they're saying they did something wrong. Correct. Asking for a yes. lawyer just means you have a brain, like not to be like, I mean, like, it's like you are like, it's just, I mean, but my, and my husband says, it's okay. I'll talk to them. Nope. And I'm just like, no, but like, I mean, I can't get in a fight with him in front of the FBI agents. He no, I mean, well, you could, it'd be, it would not yeah, be I should have, but like he talked to them, he ended up talking to them for three minutes and right. they said, you know, they said like, do you know, they asked if they knew this real estate developer named Brian Watson. My husband's like, I do know him. And they go, we're going to stop you right here. This is your chance. We know everything. And my husband's like, I don't know. Like, I have no idea what you're talking about. So we're going to stop here and I will call mm -hmm. a lawyer. Mm -hmm. And they said, we're going to hand you a few pieces of paper. And then they left. And, you know, we opened the pieces of paper. One was a letter telling him that he was the target of a federal investigation in the Eastern District of Virginia. We are in Seattle. The Eastern District yes. of Virginia is 3,500 miles away. Yes, that's my old district. And it is. The Eastern District of Virginia is where the government goes to prosecute Edward Snowden. It's, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it there's, is. there's really two or three soft seats for government prosecution. One is the Southern District of New York. The other one's going to be the District of DC. And then lastly, it's Eastern District of Virginia. Everything around the, uh, around Washington, DC is easy. So, and Amazon, because they build data centers for the CIA and the NSA, they build them in the Eastern District of Virginia, a lot yeah. of them. It's called Data yeah. Center Alley. Just this weekend, Amazon announced $35 billion in investment in Virginia for wow. Amazon Web Services. Um, so that was the first letter telling him he was the target of a federal investigation. And then the second one was a letter that said, we intend to seize these bank accounts. And it listed like three bank accounts. And I'm like, what the hell is happening? Right. And, th and, and they said they were going to seize them under civil asset forfeiture proceedings. Yeah, is that what they yeah. Okay. I, my husband was not charged with a crime. In fact, and right. it's important. For me, my husband has never been charged with a crime. This was 2020, it's 2023. My husband's never been charged with a crime. Yes. So they say they're going to seize these. And I'm just like, I will admit, and I'm so disappointed in myself, but this for me started three weeks of like shock and panic because yes. I think I knew enough about the legal system to know that this, like, this was bad. You know, that the, like, then it wasn't something we could resolve easily. Yeah. People can't see it, but uh, producer Phil is nodding. Uh, Phil used to work white collar crimes and, uh, and he's a CPA and he's got some knowledge in this, this sphere. And there's just nothing good about what's about to come down that we're about to hear about. And the letter um, said that the, you know, that he was a target of a federal investigation in the Eastern district of, Re of Virginia related to allegations of private sector, honest services fraud. And I'm like, what, what the say hell that one, is that? Yeah. Say that one more time. <laughs> Private sector honest services fraud. It honest is a services. federal crime of depriving your private sector employer of your honest services. Wow. It turns I, out it's probably much more likely to be uh, you know, involved in that sort of fraud if your employer is enormous and has a huge contract with DOD and DOJ. Weird. <laughs> right? I mean, weird. Strange. Like, I mean, yeah, I mean the Eastern like in my obsessive research over the many years, I learned that like the Eastern District of Virginia prosecutors hadn't prosecuted this since 2001. Well, so what but, we're also seeing too is that that is the new game. The game is, it doesn't matter whether it's uh, charges of 1001, which is the lying uh, or false statements. Those have never been prosecuted, but they've always been add-on charges. They're also, right. you know, they're also RANs. They're, um, they're modifiers right. to get pleas, but they're not something that we individually charge, although we started doing that. And the same thing with FARA, which I don't know if you're familiar with that, yeah. but the Foreign Alien Re Registration yeah. Act, never charged ever. Uh, stern letters. That's what they do. And now they're charging people. So you were right, kind of on the ground floor when the, the game started shifting in a lot of ways. And you, unfortunately you guys were the recipient of it. Yeah. And, um, 
so that happened. I, I call, um, I call the law firm that the Riveter used in Seattle. I called my lawyer and I said, yep. my husband needs a lawyer. I'm yep. like shaking. And also like, do I need to tell my board for the Riveter? And we decided I needed to call my board for the Riveter right away. Tell them this is happening. Yep. Get my husband a lawyer. Um, and, and then it was, and then the, the next part of our life began. Um, now, what, what kind of lawyer were you thinking that you needed? And was that the right kind of lawyer when you went? Because a white collar criminal defense lawyer. And, and that's what you found. Yes. Yeah. 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 And so you, at least you had that. I think a lot of people would be really concerned. It's like, do I need a criminal defense lawyer? But that would, it's pretty specialized because you're talking about white collar yeah. fraud. Yeah. Uh, and, and a lot of people don't do that kind of work. It's kind of technical. I have to imagine. And it's, it kinda, it's former prosecutors who do it. That I mean, makes sense. <laughs> Which is the people you want, to be fair. That's who you want. People who have sat in the other chair. It is, but it's just so, I mean, this revolving door between people who prosecute and hold the white glove of the law and then they go defend people. It's just, and they're they're all friends. They're all buddies. Like it's, it's a game. It is a game. And somebody was telling me this the other day that owned a big company and they said, um, no matter whether I win or lose, the lawyers all win every time. I was just emailing Jeff Bezos about this yesterday. I email Jeff Bezos a lot. I'll, I'll get into that later, but um, I just I take it upon it. myself to do it. Um, yeah. So <laughs> anyway. That's, that's, um, the, that's the thing though, right? Like they all win. They're all going to oh, litigate. Yeah. They're all going to oh, get their God. hourlies. Oh yeah. And it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's shocking. So we didn't really understand what my husband was even accused of because when you say private sector honest services fraud, it's kind of vague and ambiguous. Yes. So my husband's lawyers called the prosecutors in Virginia and, um, you know, between April and May, it was very clear that what was happening was that my husband was accused of taking kickbacks on real estate deals. Um, so essentially the government said that he steered Amazon real estate deals to a developer in exchange for kickbacks. Got it. Um, that did not happen. And I can right. explain what my husband did do. Um, but um, what was very clear was that my husband, there wasn't a conversation. My husband was being accused of a crime. There was no, there was no what happened, you know, what didn't happen. It was like, you're accused of a crime. You committed a crime and you are going to plead guilty to a crime. Mm -hmm. And I learned between April and May and June, the set of tools that prosecutors have when they want you to plead guilty to a crime and what they did um you know, I, the FBI actually executed a national operation that day on April, April 2nd, two weeks into the pandemic for Amazon, which I, I know now because we learned many years later that it was actually Amazon that had accused my husband of a crime. It was Amazon who hired a former federal prosecutor in the Eastern District of Virginia and paid him millions of dollars to lobby his former colleagues. His name is Patrick Stokes. He works at Gibson Dunn. He directly called up the then U.S. attorney, Zachary Terwilliger set up a meeting. Before the first meeting, Pat Stokes sent the DOJ an email saying our first priority is asset restraint and recovery. Um, went in, pitched a 20, they, you pitch a crime, like in a 20 decks, a 20 slide deck PDF, they pitched a crime. Mm -hmm. um, we gotta, we, we got to pump the brakes on that one and go through that just a little bit slower so people hear yeah. that because I think it's really interesting. Um, when we work criminal matters that are not white collar, because there are not millions of dollars in play. It's uh, you know some little girl being trafficked by MS-13. It is um, you know some guy that's running a brothel in DC. We don't pitch the crime. The crime comes in. There's an allegation or information that it happened. We go find out who did it, and then we sit on them and figure out who they are. White collar is a totally different animal. And interestingly enough, it probably is the place that the bureau could be the most effective because there's a lot of fraud against the government. Um, mm. But it's a complicated, and it takes a lot of patience. 
Um, it's not, it's not something for me. I can already tell you that right now. Like that's not my world, but the idea that somebody is going to come in and lobby DOJ and lobby the bureau to take on an investigation with like, here's the elements that we're going to go after. And here's our targets because here's why we need that. That well, on its you. face seems that feels very corrupt from the positions when I used to work crimes, because that's not the way that we would get them. Do you want to know something? I do. It's shocking. And and th- again, like I have to emphasize, we knew none of this in 2020. Right. This was slowly pieced together in 2021 and 2022 um, after a lot of work and in, in figuring things out. But the night before Amazon's lawyers met with DOJ, they officially broke a contract with the real estate developer, Brian Watson. And per the terms of the contract, the only way that they could break the contract is if Brian Watson, the real estate developer, was found guilty or pled guilty to a CEO, to a felony crime. Mm-hmm. Amazon did not tell that to the Department of Justice. That is very, very important, though. So what we are playing here is that there's probably, what, millions or is it billions of dollars? Over $100 million in damages. Okay, so $100 million in play. Uh, and the way that they can get out of this contract is that there has to be the people that are involved in it have to plead guilty to a felony. And it shows, and that, that obviously is going to be bad faith negotiations and that's how they're going to walk away from it. But otherwise, and, this is, a, this yeah. is otherwise a good contract. Oh, and it's, a, it's related to data centers that Amazon kept. They do not allege they overpaid for the data centers. They are now selling cloud computing to the government from the data centers for billions of dollars. Amazon gotcha. alleges no financial harm. Got it. They didn't Honest, lose anything. They just were trying they gained, to screw. They gained. Wow. All right. So you're finding out that these meetings are happening. DOJ has gone out there, done their 20 deck slide pitch, said this is our original targets. And you know what the targets were at this point? Is that was that yeah, the out? targets are Brian Watson, the real estate developer? So and the Amazon did a national operation on April 2nd. An hour after their national operation, the termination notice was delivered to Brian Watson that he'd been terminated. Mm-hmm. Um, now he worked for Amazon Web Services. No, as well. he was a real estate developer that built data centers at Amazon. So he was Amazon came to his uh, development company and contracted to to base. Yes, that right. Yep, yep, exactly. Um, and Amazon only paid monthly rent. They don't own the data centers, like so. Um, and they don't. It's so wild. It's so crazy. But so we didn't know okay, any and, of them at the time. Yeah, and what and what was your connect? What was your husband's connection to Brian Watson at that so time? So my husband worked on Amazon's real estate team when Brian Watson's team got these real estate development deals. However, my husband had no signing authority. Twelve people above him approved every contract. What happened is somebody who made money from Brian Watson from okay. Northstar, the real estate developer, months later went to my husband and said, "You should build a business that competes with Brian Watson and Northstar. Like you know more about data centers than Brian Watson does." I'll give you the seed. I'll give you the seed capital to do it. I'll invest in your company. Okay. So he, so my husband got a lawyer, who you should also know the lawyer is a target of the DOJ's investigation. They're saying sure. this lawyer, this lawyer is part of this criminal real estate gang. And um, so the lawyer, you know, so the lawyer sets my husband's company up. The investor puts money in the company. It's legally documented. Like there are lawyers everywhere and legal documentation everywhere. Like I have investors in the Riveter including Amazon's for Jeff Bezos's first investor is my biggest investor. And um, my husband has investors in his company. Like, and again, my husband's employment contract explicitly says while he worked at Amazon, he could start a company and seek investment from anyone as long as they weren't an investor in Amazon. Okay. Um, just out of curiosity. So this was all served in April, May, and you're dealing with it in the, the early part of 2020 or the mid part of 2020. He separated in 2019 yeah. from Amazon, correct? Yep. And so when are they alleging this crime took place? 
2017 and 2018. So it, two, you know, two, three years prior, two years prior to him leaving. And now we are working two, three years in arrears. Yeah. And it's 2023. Um, but- yeah. yeah. So, and that just tells you how long this has been working because that's how long it takes. Like you got to go out there and structure all these things together. So this is a long plan unfolding and they picked the uh, COVID pandemic to, to roll it out. On well, you, but no, wonderful. this is actually crazy. It's not that long. This is something that I just am always blown away by. Amazon called DOJ in early February, 2020. They had their first meeting February 20th, 2020. And there were target letters and a national operation on April 2nd, 2020. It's because Amazon needed to give notice of the termination of their contracts. So they needed the FBI to go out and do their national knock and talk. Literally. That isn't, that's truly incredible. Um, There are email, there are emails showing that Amazon was working with the DOJ on the timing of taking the investigation overt. Now you've done, um, you told me you had a big TikTok following on this. Did you expose any of your documents on, is there places where people can kind of check your, uh, yeah. So I'm actually going to put all of, so this is something I think that is also wild that I never understood. So had my husband ever been charged with a crime, mm-hmm. we would have never known any of the things I'm telling you today because we never would have seen the communications between the department of justice and Amazon, the accuser. And you can tell that Amazon DOJ never thought anyone would see these emails because that's how it works. Crazy. I mean, the emails are crazy. And so like, like, here's just a quick example. Like, um, Amazon asked for civil forfeiture. Um, the FBI agent working the case said, can you just send me over the employee bank account numbers from when they got their direct deposits? And Amazon and Amazon's lawyer was like, you're going to need to send us a grand jury subpoena for that so that we don't get in trouble. And then boom, boom, boom. It was done. So what's wild is Phil and I have always said that uh, there's a lot of cockiness. There's a lot of smug uh, people that work in the bureau when they're doing these things. And the emails that go back and forth would amaze people that people are willing to put it in writing. They would go, oh, they would never write that down. And it's like, oh, you don't know the colleagues that we've worked with. There are some absolutely unbelievable things that if any lawyer had sat there and knew that they were out there, if you just went you know, digging for a gold mine, there's gold in all the mines. They're all gold mines. It's all full crazy. And yeah. uh, pretty, um, yeah. Yeah. Pretty amazing stuff yeah. that it's out there. And and it's in writing. It's like, it's all it's in not writing. I have no doubt that what you're saying is true. That's what's so funny to me. Cause you're talking to somebody who hundred percent would believe those stories. Cause that's what, that's what we assume is out there. I'm sure there are ways that they have referred to me and, and to Phil and some of my buddies that will shock people when they come out. And I hope they come out in Congress at some point soon. And um, yeah, it's just the nature of the beast. It's like, there's just, it's an arrogance or maybe it's just a completely Maybe they just don't know that it's ever going to see the light of day, but we are explicitly told everything you send in text message, everything you send in email is discoverable. It's always so, discoverable. Yeah, it has to be. It has to be. But I think so when someone is accused of a federal crime, there is a 98.2% chance that they will plead guilty. Not yes. maybe not because they think they're guilty. Many people don't. Right. Because a lot of these white collar crimes uh, require this very specific intent to defraud someone. You know, my husband believed he was abiding by his employment contract. He went to a lawyer. I mean, there's so many things here, right? Right. And Amazon wasn't harmed. They benefited. Like this is all, it's wild. But um, 98.2% of people plead guilty. And, you know, having lived through what prosecutors can do to you, I understand why. Like what they did to us. um, So they tried to get my husband to plead guilty to a crime. It was always very unclear, like specifically what they wanted him to say. But anyway, my husband's like, I'm not pleading guilty to something. I've committed no crime. Yeah, so, that's the right. But the thing is, so few people, they're looking down the barrel of whatever the punishment is. They're looking at what it's going to cost to litigate. And yeah. 
and they just go, it's easier for me to just take a, you know, a misdemeanor plea, a plea. deal or something yeah. and end up on probation for a little while, whatever it may be. But the crazy part here is that like they needed a very specific thing, a felony against Brian Watson, this real estate developer. Right. So they went and they accused, I think, like five people of a crime. No one pled guilty. So then they um, then they they pulled the trigger on the civil forfeiture. So on May 20th, they emptied our bank accounts and um, they didn't just empty my husband. They emptied my bank account because we shared money. So we literally had no money. And right. then they also went to our lawyer's client trust account and seized all of the money we had paid our lawyers. Whoa. Which we so were you will you like, uh will you break it down for layman um civil asset forfeiture, which I have seen, but I haven't done the process on a lot. Uh I understand it's a very powerful tool in certain things like Rego cases, it's great. Um, you can do it against transnational organized crime organizations and, you know, Drugs. trafficking and gangs. They do a lot of that where they, you know, so it's going to be ill-gotten gains is essentially what they're arguing, but kind of break it down for people, what they, what they do to you, because the filing is not against you. They don't have to prove a crime against you. They go after your, they file, uh, essentially that, that your, your assets are part of a criminal. Because then your assets don't have due process, which is why they do it this way. So exactly when civil forfeiture, the United States government on the federal level. Also, this is in all states and most local governments too. They can seize your bank accounts, your home, your car, your assets on the suspicion of a crime. They do not have to charge you with a crime. They do not have to prove a crime. And once, once they again, take it- No due process, not proved, not in front of a jury of your peers. And they're depriving you of more than $20 without a jury trial because they didn't file the charges against you. They filed against your stuff, which are not people. So yeah, so they just take it and it's a, it's a, in the case I have gone back through the Eastern district of Virginia and I cannot find a single instance in the past 13 years where prosecutors have ever done this in a non-drug case. Like once again, just it's for Amazon. Um, and, and that's my experience as well. It's almost always, like I say, we, what we call talk, uh, which is transnational organized crime, which is drugs and gangs. That's what it is. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, that's, that's where they go. It's wild. So, they okay. So what what did you guys do? Because your bank account gets empty. Like that's that's like full panic mode for most people. It was full. So I will say we didn't have exactly um, no money. You look you look flustered right now because you're I reliving was, some of that. I can tell. So hard. But um devastating. So when we when we got that first letter that they were going to that they were intended to seize the accounts, which first of all, our lawyers were like, What is this? Like they just right. take the money or they don't. They intend to seize it. So um my husband and I both opened up new bank accounts and then started putting the money we were earning into our new bank accounts. So we had like two months of earnings when they took our money. So we had like a little bit of money, but not enough to pay lawyers. Um, right. And so what we did, okay, sorry, this part is always hard for me to talk about because it really impacted my kids. Um, That's right. And mind you, we got the money back 21 months later, but we, um, we sold our home, the home, that we bought that we'd like we'd worked so hard to buy. Right. Um, we sold a car, we liquidated retirement. Yep. Um, we borrowed money from family and friends. Yep. I think we borrowed like a hundred and thirty thousand dollars, which is a lot of money. Um yeah. we and it and it means nothing to the government to spend hundred and thirty thousand dollars on litigation. Like they'll spend ten thousand dollars a day just watching you. Yeah. Um, so people don't understand that. Like the, it, like you're you're fighting a bottomless pit of money. Yeah. And also my this. mom would keep saying like, don't they care that you can't feed your kids? And I'm like, they no, literally, they don't care. They do they not care. care. Um, and then eventually, and we, we moved 
to stay with family because we didn't own our home anymore. Um, yep. And then eventually I, my company wasn't making enough money and to keep paying me a, a salary. And I um, had to move away from my family and live in a different state and take a different job. Mm-hmm. Like from my babies. Yeah. So you, so you were gone. Your husband was with your, your children, which is just insane. And, and so people that listen to me will also know, you know, I sold my house. I did the same thing. You know, the government basically took my paycheck nine months ago. So I I have that. They didn't come after my assets. Thank God. Um, but we sold our house. I took my kids away from their family and their friends. We're living in two bedrooms of my parents' house at this moment. Like I'm sitting in an, I'm sitting in an RV. So I feel you, I feel like everything you're saying, like my wife cries at night. Um, and the only thing that's made it better is that we're, we're all together. We're all yeah. together in tiny quarters. Um, but I keep having to go and do weird things in weird places and run around and talk to people and and you got to do what you got to do, but you're away from your children and there's nothing worse because it's the best time when there's such little, you know, gems and they're just having like little moments like all the time. And you, all you see is like a video or a FaceTime of it. And it's not the same. It's not um, the same. And it's, you know, it's, it's brutal uh, and it's worse it's, for moms. I know it's worse for moms. I just but you know, this. like the thing is like, I would have never stopped fighting, nor would my husband, because we weren't, we weren't, we weren't going to do this. Like we were not going to let you had, because we had not just DOJ against us, but Amazon. Like this is like this is the two evil <laughs> giants. Here's the thing: I love you guys. I don't know you, but I love you for what you did. I really do, because the number of people that roll over when this stuff happens is ninety eight point two percent. It's yeah, everybody. I mean, it's it, freaking everybody. Yeah. And there's a small number of people that go, "This is wrong." And no matter what happens, I'm trying to live in a world where my children know that I'm going to do the right thing, even though it's incredibly hard. And, and that, so and it's it's simple, but it's not easy, as my buddy wants to say. But it's like it's really my husband always says this, right? Like we've got God at our back, right? Like we're right. right, we're right. And so you know, the right right doesn't always win, but you have to try. Do you mind if I dig into that just for a second? I'm curious. Were you always spiritual people, or did this drive you somewhere? So we were both raised spiritually, but we had not really gone to church and not talked a lot about our faith as married people. And this is just, I mean, you know, it's new, right? It's new when you find hardship and then it's like, yeah, what, like who else are you going to turn to? There's no one else. Right. And so, you know, and it, it is also- my wife was baptized last year and she had oh. grown up without any religion at all. And, uh, and she was like, how did I not know about this? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, yeah. it's one of the, it's one of the only things it's like, you just got to throw yourself into God's hands and say like. I'm not driving this train. I'm just riding it. I think I'm doing the right thing. And yeah. And, and somehow you get, you get saved every time, right? Like yep. we should have never survived this. Like this right. should have been very easy for them to do to us. Yes. But I think there's a bigger purpose to it. And the, and the things keep happening. Like, you know, this new committee on the weaponization of DOJ, you know, I believe that my family's story, particularly because we have the emails yep. is like, the clearest, simplest example of the weaponization of DOJ by corporations. And Do you I want to testify there? I would hundred percent want to testify. Absolutely. Okay. I'm going mean, to, I'm going to make that, I'm going to work to make that happen. Cause I'm making a lot of things happen that I have no business being able to do. Uh, but, but, it, but I had Jim Jordan say my name five times on radio last week. So amazing. those yeah. people who listen to, you know, Sean Hannity, which I don't always listen to Hannity, but I, I listened to this one to hear it. Cause it's like, yeah. <laughs> he didn't even get prompted for it. And so like, we have, you know, you talk about God putting us in a place. Phil and I talked about this two, uh, probably two years ago, almost that there is no reason if I had told people that you and I'd be sitting, having this conversation in the situations that we're in, that yeah. we should have been able to do this. No. It shouldn't exist. I so, agree. And I also think that like, for me too, I think I can be this really important bridge to like maybe help progressives stop just swallowing a lot of stuff about the state that we live in that we don't have to. It is not a good, it is not a good pit bull to have number one. And moreover, like when you and I grew up, 
people might joke about the government could listen to your phone calls, but they didn't know where you were every second of the day. They didn't know what you bought. They didn't know all the things that you were saying everywhere you were, your your privatist thoughts that you're texting to your spouse. Those were not within the purview of the government. And now it's assumed that that's the case. Yeah, it really it's, is. It's it assumed. Something. Yeah. I mean, they the government, we know now, I mean, the government subpoenaed my husband's emails. They, they did come and do a search warrant, which was a, another crazy experience because- I'm doing the same thing right now because this like yeah. this emotionally affects me as well. I can yeah. I can I, I literally I literally know how you guys feel about things like this. It feels hopeless and it feels like an unbelievable betrayal when you didn't do anything wrong and then everything just goes massively sideways and you think like why me? And I'll tell you why you. It's because you guys had the shoulders to be able to handle it. Like nobody knows why. But that's why. Cuz yeah. cuz you could and someone needed to and it was you unfortunately. Um but also thankfully. Yeah, I mean but then you have to use it to do something. You have to use it you to have make to. change. You have to. Yep. I mean, when they came and did the search warrant, my mind was blown a thousand times over again because they did the search warrant two months after they told my husband he was a target of an investigation where it's like- um, They do that sometimes. We, I mean, I've seen it before, but explain to people what that felt like on your end of it because- yeah, so you're not. We, are you in your own house at that point, or have you sold it? Still in our house in Seattle. Because so this okay. is like ten days after they took the money. Like it took us a few months to like realize. Oh my God, we have to sell our house. We're not getting the money back. Understood. Um, which it, you have to litigate to get your money back, which we did. But anyway, they show up at our house. It's June fifth, and we thought they were there. It was June fifth again? It was before seven a.m. I am again awake with the baby on my hip, and there is not a knock on the door. It is a bang, bang, bang. Yep. And I. I mean, you know, I you know, right then too, I'm sure. I a hundred percent thought they were there to arrest him because they had been telling us one of the other tools in a prosecutor's arsenal is that we're just, we're going to come arrest you in your home in front of your kids. Yep. You don't plead guilty. We're coming. And that is living under siege. I will tell you it's yes. living under siege. It's an emotional siege, but it's a, it's a siege nonetheless. And you're waiting for it. I'm sure. You're just waiting. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I, I lost 20 pounds in two weeks. My body went into pure shock. And um, this is after the search warrant or waiting for it? This is waiting for it. We're yeah. waiting for the arrest, really. And, you know, yes. I had been nursing and I wasn't able to. I mean, it's, you know. No, it's it's um, like the things that they do. It, it's not you. It's, you know, it's your family. It's your kids. Everybody gets it. And if you're nursing, then that's part of it. And then if you're you know, you're emotionally snappy and you're not patient with your children yeah. and loving the way you could have been because you're just, you're on edge at all times. Yeah. I, I know that I know exactly this feeling. Like I, I have been living it. My wife told me like, are the Clinton death squads coming for us? Which is, you know, the sort of the right wing joke yeah. is someone going to come and try to off us in our night like, is what we've done. But I slept with a rifle that was next to my bed and, and I still have a night vision helmet and a rifle next to my bed. I because understand. I, I, and I'm not exaggerating. Like that's just the way I have to be right now. I can't I mean, imagine. People- I understand my, our lawyers are all the time. We're like, Amy, no one is going to come hurt your family. And I'm like, right. Know, like you're like, well, who, nobody should have come and taken my bank account either. And yeah. nobody should have come and knocked on my door and told my husband, he did something that he didn't do because some huge corporation needs to make a, uh, you know, a multi-billion dollar profit on us. I know. On the back and, of just crushing your life. Yeah. And they just don't. And so the FBI search warrant, like, so we thought they were there to arrest him. What what kind of team do they send in? Were they all, four, were they just four agents? Okay. So I went to the door again, yeah. poor me. No, I went to the door and it was four agents and they it's all had better their than them knocking it down, to be honest. I yeah, mean, they had their the guns out. They had their guns mm-hmm. out and they had on their Navy blue FBI jackets. Yep. And, and I mean, hundred percent thought they were there to arrest Carl. So my mind was like, how do I keep the older girls away from this? Right? Like they're, they're in the basement. I'm like, I'm going to open the door. I'm going to get Carl here and I'm just going to keep him in the basement. We're just going to sit down there until this is over and he's gone. So they don't it's have to be, see it. 
because that was yeah, all the search it. warrants even worse because i know they had to put you guys all in the same room and watch you um no listen to this kyle this is so crazy so they're like and the agent was like we're you know um i opened the door and i was like we have a daughter in here with febrile seizures which they knew our oldest daughter had very bad febrile seizures we'd told the doj that because again it's the height of the pandemic and if you've ever seen a child seize i have yeah i'm a paramedic terrifying. i've seen it yeah. a lot it's terrifying and with covid and the and the fevers and whatnot and they had put an agent on a plane across the country, I think a private plane, to do the search warrant. They put the lead case agent on a private plane to come to our house to do the search warrant. This is a week after my husband's lawyers had given a big presentation to the government about why my husband didn't commit a crime. So they knew they were walking into tons of attorney-client privileged materials. Of course. Anyway, so I opened the door and I was like, we have a child with seizures. And he's like, we're going to let you and the girls leave. And I was like, what? Where? I go, I was like, what? He's like, yeah, he's like, get all your daughters and put them in the car and leave. And I was like, and he goes, but don't do anything stupid. Don't take anything. And I was like, and he goes, you already did something stupid. And I was like, I'm sorry. And he was like, you wired money to pay your attorneys. And I'm like, you're not allowed to talk to me. That's what I said at that point. I was like, we're represented. You are not allowed. Like, let's not do this. Right. Yeah. Like I, yeah. 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 So then my husband walked up and I thought that they, I don't know what I thought. And he, he walked up, he hadn't heard at that point. I, I think I realized they were there to do a search warrant. My husband walked up with his, his, if you can see me, I'm putting my arms out. Because yes. Husband, He's ready to be cuffed. The He's cuff, ready to be cuffed. He wanted to make it as which, quick and fast. Yeah. As he and could. we cuff in the, we cuff in the back, but, um, but yeah, he's not, so, he's, that, not a, he's not a, he's not a long-term con artist. Okay, yeah, he like, doesn't, yeah, he yeah. doesn't know exactly. It, yeah. Somebody says, assume the position and they know they turn around, they put their hands behind their back, but uh, oh. yeah, he came, you know, he did the AOC like hands up front thing, which is, which is what people would assume. And also, you know, that's, there's, it's such a, um, you know, it, it's such a, just an even keeled posture. It's like, this is happening. You just, you're accepting it. You move on. Yeah. Um, so did they cuff him? No. <laughs> oh, so they just like, they, walk thank God for that. They, they do have discretion. So thank God for that. So they walk. So I am like, so they kind of all waited at the door until I got the girls and I left. And so I get, I get all the girls. I'm like shoving them into the minivan. I, t I got our German shepherd and put her in the minivan too. Cause I didn't Smart. want anything to happen to her. Yeah. And I am tying my shoes, call Carl's lawyer while I'm tying my shoes. And I'm like, they're here for a search warrant. And they're like, what? They're like, this makes no sense. They're like, what is, because they had just subpoenaed my husband. He hadn't had a chance to respond to the subpoenas and was going to. And they're like, what is going on? And I now know it was just a pressure tactic, you know, because yeah, the search so we, warrant, we say the, yeah. the, the process is the punishment in this case. Yeah. And I've only been mm -hmm. seeing it more and more recently. Um, I don't think that I've ever participated in something like that. I, I'm pretty confident that I have not because I'm pretty good at throwing the bullshit flag when it comes up. Um, I try not to swear actually too, but th there's no other way to call it when these things happen. You know, you know, somebody's got PCP and guns and they're felons. It's kind of a different animal than yeah. you go to a mom's house. It's like, why are we not doing a summons? Yeah. If we need to do a search, like, you know, we could work this through the attorneys. It seems pretty straightforward. And but also the, like the my husband had said, if you're going to arrest me, like if you're going to charge me, please let me come and turn myself in. And I will. And they were like, that's, no, yeah, that's the summons. That's we're going to arrest they just you at your it. house. It's unbelievable stuff. Phil had a, a comment to me uh, not long ago where he said, uh, you know, at this point that these guys, you know, the people that are that are followers of the regime, because these people obviously believed in what they were doing, right? Would you agree with that? That's why they were talking to that. You've already done something stupid. You sent money to a lawyer. It's like, shame on you. Um, you know, they, they, they're, like, they're believing in what they do. And at this yeah. point, I think I think Phil told me something that he, he thinks that the, our former colleagues, and and by the way, they came out of, those people came out of our former office. I was out of Washington Damn. Field. So and that's yeah, where I they really came from. 
And, yeah. and Phil probably knows these people. That's what's even I mean, worse. I know their names, so I can tell you. But yeah. You can. I, and, and I and that's the whole thing about this is like I don't I don't need to protect anybody's name. They have a public facing job and they serve the public. So if you feel yeah. like saying it, feel free. You're uh, th there's no restrictions on it. But those people would, you know, people that that believe in what the bureau does so wholeheartedly that they're willing to go and like knock somebody out of their house in this kind of way on a white collar crime, they would kick their grandma into a wood chipper for their next promotion. Which is also, remember, a process crime like lying to an FBI agent. Like Amazon is not harmed here, right? Like this is right. There's no violence. There's no danger. There's no. There's no. You know, public uh, risk that's being no assumed. monetary. No monetary loss. Not like, even it's any like loss. It's a, whole, like, it's a process crime. It's just yeah. It's, so it's incredible. Okay, so you got the kids in the car. You got the dog in the car. I got a German Shepherd too, so I empathize with that yeah. one as well. You got to take care of your baby, your fur baby. Uh, and so we left and went to. I went to like my best friend's house. She doesn't have kids. I called her. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm coming over with all of my kids. Like you just have to deal with this for a minute. And I thought that we would be there all day at my friend's house because I, I don't. I guess from the movies, I thought that search warrants lasted all day. It was 30 minutes. Yeah, it it goes it goes the whole gamut. I've seen 48 hour search warrants where we'll hold the scene for 48 hours or more. But I've also seen them go through where they just tear up and go get what they need. And oh, yeah. that's it. They, didn't, they get like, did they get electronics? They didn't tear anything up. They just took my husband's cell phone and his laptop. Yeah. That's and, and then like a few pieces of paper, including memos on law firm letterhead that said attorney client privilege. They just went ahead and took those. And my husband, again, just people can't see this, but Phil is shaking his head in disgust <laughs> right now. Um, <laughs> It, oh, yeah. it is disgusting because those like you're literally and, supposed to leave that sort of stuff. Behind. Well, yeah, it's literally like he's preparing to be indicted and go to trial. And this is his defense, right? You're like, right. I don't, so like you're now you're now infringing on his ability to do yeah, like a, which, to mount a, a solid defense. And so um, the um, they go get upstairs to my husband's office and they're very careful, like not to take anything of mine, I think, because I'm a lawyer and that would have been maybe a disaster. Well, also, I'm sure I don't know if you guys saw the search warrant, uh, like the the. Uh, what is it? Is it Appendix A? Is that what it's called? The appendix where it says like actually what they're allowed to search. And usually it should yeah. be, it should be focused to him. If you have a drawer yeah. that's not his drawer, then you shouldn't, yeah. it shouldn't yeah. go into yours, all that kind of stuff. Oh so, yeah. So they took, so they, took, they, they had him open up his laptop and they're like, will you open it and enter the password? We can do this the hard way or the easy way. And my husband's like, I'll give you the password, whatever, have it. I don't care. Why? Because yeah, he's again, no. like, you know, like have it. Like I, like I've done nothing wrong. Go for it. So he gives them the password. They open it up. So it, it opens up to like presentation, like all to attorney client stuff. Cause that was all he was doing. Right. So anyway, search warrant ends, I come home and we are, you know, conversations with our lawyers and our lawyers immediately go to DOJ and they're like, you took attorney client privilege stuff. You know that, like, you're not stupid. You know, you did this. And they're like, do they have, like, a, do they have a taint team or anything like that? That's set up to be able to evaluate oh, that. Let me explain this to you. <laughs> well, <laughs> Sorry. They take this. So they take, they get this laptop. It's gone. And again, we're like, you need to put a taint team in place. Like, of course, like this is, you have to do this. Tell people what that is. Just a taint team is. So if they do a search warrant and they think they're going to get stuff that's attorney client privilege, the, they're supposed to have a separate team of FBI agents and lawyers review everything and then separate out anything that might be attorney client privilege and not let the prosecutors and agents working on the case review it. Problem here, they sent the lead case agent across the country to do the search warrant when anyone in seattle Shit. could have gotten the laptop can you see phil shaking his head right now can you see i mean like is it nuts it's nuts it's nuts it's like nuts. it's just the other thing is they put on the search warrant they included in, they to search for communications between my husband and his business lawyer that has set up his company so like they were purposely i mean i, I don't anyway um so um so this happens 
But and they're like the prosecutor who wrote back to my husband's lawyers. His name was Uzo Sonye. He was a prosecutor for Robert Mueller. He has since left and gone to work for a law firm that represents Amazon. Uh, oh, shocker! Yeah, that would never happen. Why yeah. would someone who just did a you know Amazon hatchet job get an Amazon job? That doesn't make sense. That's not how we I do know, it, is it. Yeah, it's huh. so ridiculous. But anyway, he so he writes back to the lawyers and he's like, "You will not dictate the time the timing of our investigation. We'll get back to you when it's appropriate." And then we never heard back. And then like a year later, a year later, this is how like slowly this all moves. And you're not in your home and you don't have your money. We are living with my husband's family. We don't have our dog. She's left with a friend because we're in a different state. I mean, it's so sad. Anyway. When when did you get, did you reunite with your kiddos to go after you went to go work or were you still? We all now live together in Ohio. Okay. Is that where you are right now? Yeah. I'm in Ohio now. Yeah. We live in Columbus, Ohio now, versus where my family is. We eventually came here and stayed with my family. I was, and that's when I was commuting to New York to work a job. So I was living in New York Monday to Friday. My kids were here. Jeez. But now in like, I mean, sometimes good things happen in the world. We were able to rebuild my company. I am now the CEO of my company again. It is amazing. I'm home. It's, you know, um, but so we learn a year later after the search warrant that somehow in the government's possession, my husband's laptop has become encrypted. And it is unencryptable. They they didn't put the password in right, and they they locked it down. <laughs> so it's gone. Okay. All of his stuff. All of it. Just and gone. he couldn't unlock it either. No. So what they needed was something called a Microsoft BitLocker key, and okay. my husband had been gotten the laptop from Amazon. Oh. So he didn't. He wasn't like it was like a gift from his boss. So he didn't have the BitLocker key. We called Microsoft, and we we tried. We tried, right? To help, like we tried to get it open. It's just gone. Everything you had in there. Everything is gone. And then eventually we learned that the FBI agents and the prosecutors did look at the attorney client privilege materials. Of course. Yeah. They got the FBI agent got removed from the investigation by the DOJ. Well, at least there's that. Um, did they get uh, hit with any sort of uh, OPR coverage? No. 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 And we had to got- fight. We had to fight. Did you guys fi- out of curiosity, did you file an OIG complaint? Not yet. <laughs> it's like a whole because the invest the investigation. It's awful. And listen, I don't have any faith in that process either. I'm going to do it just because you do it. You do it because yeah. it's a pain in the ass for them, and that's the only thing you can do. But I mean, but I, I like Kyle. The investigation ostensibly could still be ongoing. Like we don't know correct don't know what's going on. You know, it's right. but it could be it could go on for five years. I guess right. So I could um, go on. Yeah. Is, is there a statute? Is that what it is? Yeah. Five years. Yeah. So. Unless they added different things to it. If they added, you know, false statements or, you know, obstruction charges, then they could do it for another, whatever it is. Yeah. So there's no question about it. Yeah. There's no question that it could be ongoing, but also probably has to lose some steam because like, what the hell they can do? And Amazon got what they wanted. Well, Amazon hasn't got what they wanted really, because they still- Well, they 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 didn't get to break the contract. But they did break the contract without a felony. So unless unless they get a felony, they're going to be liable for these damages. Like there's still, that's why we know- I can tell you too, and I want to see head shakes at this one, Phil. Do you? We know from the emails that we've seen that Amazon was able to meet with prosecutors over 100 times to lobby for criminal charges. That is 100 times. 100 times. Um, It should be one time. It's like, here, we'd like to report this problem. And then the FBI says, cool, thank you. And then we don't comment on ongoing investigations. 100 times. That's insane. There's no other way to say it. Like, that's just the most insane thing. Um, 
All right. So let's, let's keep pushing through this story. Like I'm, there's some light in the end of the tunnel only because you're okay now and you're there. Yeah. So let's, let's keep pushing well, through. They, they lost the laptop. It's all fully encrypted. They can no longer. So now they, now they don't have access to all your stuff, but they all saw it and they removed the case agent who I'm sure could never talk to anybody else in the office. Oh, in yeah, the white collar squad. I'm sure that, you know, he sits right next to the other people that do the same work. Oh, so like yeah. You- I mean, yeah, right. Like the other agent that's been on it the whole time is still uh, never got removed from it. And they're friends, they're Facebook friends. That's the other thing. I have been able to figure out so much stuff about connections just by looking at Facebook and LinkedIn. And it's not something. It's crazy. We call that We call that open source. In fact, there's a, so there's a guy that I was in a, a Twitter space with last night and he goes by name redacted. I know his real name, but I'm not going to say it. Yeah. Um, and he has, and he basically does open source research on Twitter and on Google and on Amazon and on uh, all these different FBI and CIA and other intelligence community people that are hired on there. And he did it all through going through LinkedIn and he went through their, their Facebook connections and uh, you know, their access that they have on Twitter and who they're following and who their friends are and all that. And it's out there and they're not, they're not. Scared about putting it out there. The prosecutor, the one prosecutor who's been there the whole time, he was removed in July of last year. And I'll tell you why, because that's another crazy story. But he is like on LinkedIn liking like Amazon HQ2 bringing a lot of jobs to Virginia. And I'm like, can you just try a little bit? Yeah, this is the this was the Crystal City project. Is that right? That they're yeah. I mean, I was there when that was going down, obviously. Yeah. Um, but like, and so he's, he's liking, yeah, way to go. Like, why is he following yeah, the Amazon? And then like, like the I, Amazon lawyer who's lobbying the prosecutors is like when Uzo Asonye left to get a job, you know, in the private sector, the Amazon lawyer, Yusri Omar is like, good luck, Uzo. Thanks for everything. And it's like, it's are you all there. Going and getting beers together? Like, yeah. is that what's happening? Going to the strip club in Crystal City. I mean, it's basically what it feels like. It's, mm-hmm. and they probably are. Well, and, you know, and going through LinkedIn, I realized that Amazon is hiring hundreds of former prosecutors and FBI agents. Yes. So like, of course, we're going to like, you know, like my husband's not going to hire your former FBI agents or, and you're going to make three or five X what you did at the bureau going right. to work for Amazon. And Amazon has on their board, the former head of the NSA, Keith Alexander, like what business experience does Keith Alexander have? Like, lit- What business experience thing- do any of them have? No, the only reason Keith Alexander is on the board is to help Amazon get contracts with the NSA and other government agencies. Correct. So like, I've been calling this the the information industrial complex, very similar ooh, to what good. goes on in them. Okay. And so I, I'm not, I didn't originate this. I actually Google searched it and I found out there are mentions going back to 2014, some academic um, papers, but the information industrial complex is essentially the same thing that goes on in the military industrial complex. You don't hire generals because they know the most about tanks or planes or small weapon systems for squad-based you know, operation. You hire them because you know who's buying them. And they're friends with the guy who writes the check for the next round, because that guy just took his old job and they were buddies. Oh. So that's the same thing that's going on in this intelligence community. It's like the people who are going to stroke out the check that uh, pays for the web services for hosting Jedi or whatever else yeah. they're buddies with, and they just left that job. And th- so that oh. you know exactly what I'm talking about. Well, I figured out I'm, I'm just me. You know, I'm just this mama for, I guess I'm a lawyer, but like, I'm just doing Google research and there's this woman named Christine Halverson, who was like a 20 year agent. She spoke at AWS's big conference, which is called reInvent. What's her name? Christine Halverson. Halverson. Okay. So she spoke at this big AWS reInvent conference as a member of the FBI saying the FBI say, or AWS saved the FBI. Take a guess where she works now. Oh, I wonder if she works for Amazon web services. <laughs> she does indeed. And guess she does sales for the government. It's crazy. Wow. Is it because she knows people in the government? That's strange. I mean, it's just, yeah. 
Like what's also funny is that a lot of these people haven't worked in a decade, uh, especially when they're senior executives. They literally haven't had a job. They just, you know, they just get accolade. Their job is literally compiling their resume to say what people under them did because yeah. they're not operationally doing invest, you know, they're not doing investigations. They're not doing any of this stuff. Um, it's nauseating. The I think the only good thing is, I think the only silver lining out of all this kind of insanity is that they're visible in a way that they've never been before. Uh, yeah. And it's like this year, you know, in the last four months, they're visible in a way that nobody's ever seen. Yeah. Um, and now they're realizing like, oh crap, we better hide some of this stuff, but it's too late because the scurrying, it's it's happening. The light's are already on. Uh, well, in fact, like the prosecutor that liked, you know, and had all these interactions with Amazon and LinkedIn, he took down his LinkedIn profile because he's in fact about to be um, seated as a federal judge in the Eastern District of Virginia. And he took- Oh, down, that's wonderful. Thank took God. down his LinkedIn profile after I like put something on Twitter. But like, it's like, I mean, this is all, it's just all so transparently corrupt. It, it just bothers me. It's like, and, and part of it is like, did you think we were all so stupid that we wouldn't try to figure this out? Like well, I went to war care? for my family. Yeah, I, I care. Do you think I don't care enough about my husband's freedom? to try to go fight and figure this out. Like I, I just, like you're trying to put people in prison. Like well, you said it, you went to war for your family. That's what my, that's what my, uh, my wife calls what I'm doing right now. This is yeah. the war we're in it. Uh, you guys are not done with it. <laughs> like you can't be. Uh, and, and obviously you're out there talking about it too. And that's the only other way to do it. It's like, we have to sp spread information. Cause this is a, this is what's called five GW. Are you familiar with that, that term? No, no. 5GW is uh, it's it's known as fifth generation warfare. So there's different types of warfare. Like third generation is like modern conventional warfare. Fourth generation is like the counterinsurgency insurgency type fighting. Fifth generation war is an information war. And when you and what everybody is feeling right now in this country um, is that anxiety that is being seeded by being in the middle of a, of an actual civil war or an actual war. It doesn't have to be civil, I guess. I don't know what you like. The, the, the parties are not um, even. Yeah, <laughs> but 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 what we are fighting is is a legitimate information war, and it's it's done with misinformation, it's done with distrust operations, it's done with you know fighting against and, and marginalizing institutions, it's it's manipulation of the media, it's you know everyone always calls it like psyops. Psyops are like battles. Yeah, in a larger war, and so that anxiety, like what's wrong with our country, and how did we get here, and what is going, you know, all the things that I know that are wrong, and it doesn't matter whether you're on the left or the right, politically speaking, because everybody has that same sensation, like there's something that is not right. That's 5GW. And so, you know, you're in it, whether you like it or not. And so you, you mentioned the war, you're accurately stating that. Uh, and I want to reaffirm what you're saying there, because it's very important that people know this is not like a turn of speech. This yeah. isn't, there's an actual, uh, you can look up the definition of 5GW and you can read all kinds of stuff. There's whole books written on it. Uh, and and they've gone back, you know, probably to World War One. Those mm -hmm. were PSYOPs campaigns. It always accompanied. They just didn't, you know, codify it and, and study it. Yeah. But, when we start looking at what that is, it it makes more sense that like the things that you're, you know, the sort of emotional traumas and and the wreckage of family lives that go along. It's very real. Like it's real trauma. It's real destruction that is is wreaking havoc on your life. Phil had the same experience. I had the same experience. Yeah, I'm so um, sorry that you went through that. Like it's well, it's, it's like we're in it together. So like you don't have yeah. to be sorry. We're 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 teammates on this. Mm -hmm. uh, the teammates are people that know that something is wrong and yeah. and and not wanting it to continue. So and I think people like don't understand kind of like the the real repercussions of it. Like I until I worked, I've I've like I've never been someone who's like on it's okay if you go to therapy. I like don't judge, but I've never been someone who had like, you know, I married a therapist because I needed it probably. <laughs> <But> like, <laughs> like I'm I'm, like, I'm vertically integrated in my house. Yeah. <laughs> but I always thought like, oh, I'm tough, you know, I'm tough. But after the um FBI search warrant, after the search warrant, I started taking my daughters up. I would wake them up at 5:30 every morning for months. 
and Carl and my husband and I would take them out of the house to go to a park for like hours. Yes. And then we had a baby monitor in the window and, and we would. And that was literally so that you were not there if they did it again. Yeah. And people need to understand how, how real that is. Cause that's not, you're not the only person I've ever heard of doing that. I was waking up at 5am um, for the last couple months as well. Uh, part of it's because I have a two-year-old, a sub-two-year-old yeah. who wants to wake up and scream stuff. Yeah. But part of it is because my wife and I were just sitting there awake. And it's like, is this the waiting. morning? Is this the morning? You know, it's like, morning? I know. Yeah. There, and there's, we had a, we have a, a security gate at my parents' place that like is locked outside of the front door. And good. so it would be, it would be not easy for them to like bang through it. They probably, I mean, they could, they'd have to breach with a team though. But if they send someone for me, they're sending a SWAT team. Yeah. Right. Like I'm trained. I have, like, I have all kinds of weapon systems. It's next to my bed. I, I talk about it publicly. So I'm up because I don't, I want to at least identify what the target is. Like, it's not some like rogue, you know, criminal agent that they they turned on us. And it's actually like federal agents. And if it is, then we have to open the door. So we're having that. And it's like, I'm not trying to get in a shootout in front of my children. Right. You're not trying but to I'm also, I don't know who's going to come. Like, I don't know who's coming and neither do you. And, uh, yeah, and so I mean, that like sleeping on the floor and waking up and, and getting your kids out of the house before six, that is, that's, in, that's insanity for most people. And that was your reality for a while. Yeah. And then even when we stopped doing it, because we finally, I think in the fall of 2020, the prosecutors agreed that if they were going to charge him, they would let him turn himself in. And that felt like a miracle to me. I was like, oh my Which, God. And that should have been the, the default position. And people, <laughs> yeah, people yeah. who are, if you're just listening to our audio stream, you can't see it. Like, I, you know, Amy's got some emotion on her face. I'll just say it like, that's the only way. And I feel the same way right now too. Um, it's, it's devastating to like, have to have that conversation with your spouse and like, what's the strat, like, what is our strategy sur for surviving the unknown here that's coming down? Cause that's what it yeah. is. It's unknown. And last night my and husband and I were talking about like how we're proud of ourselves that through this, our kids are loved and they're, you know, they know they're loved. They, they think, they think they're safe and that like, we have found a way to like laugh and find joy, but that's what people at war do, right? You learn to live at war. That like is, you, you that is the war. Like, babies are born at war, but you know, like, it's like, you just, you learn to live like this. And I know like eventually this will end, but I cannot imagine what it will feel like because the war doesn't end when our situation ends. And the, the thing that we have to do when this ends is keep being loud. And I do feel much safer being loud. I feel so much safer being loud. Isn't that funny? I had a funny conversation. I called the FBI's field office and I found the investigator who who got me thrown out of the office. And it was for BS charges. Like I was out shooting in the desert in the middle of public land. It was like 20 miles of desert. Nobody cares. <gasps> oh my God. Um, I have to tell you something when you're done. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you tell me now and I, I know my story. You tell me your story. No, speaking of like BS charges, like yes. they're, they're, uh, they're the, like he's the chief information officer at Amazon. He mm -hmm. was a former FBI guy, wasn't a Shocker. special agent. He was like an IT guy. He was accused while at the FBI of charging a private plane ride home from an assignment on a government credit card without authorization. Whoa. He wasn't kicked out of the FBI. No. Like, what is this? And like, you're We're like shooting a gun in the desert and they're like, you're out. Like that's. I'm, I'm, I'm literally wearing my duty belt and my badge on my belt. And I am doing training, handgun training, because if I have to ever draw my weapon, I want to be precise and I want to be accurate because I might save a life that way, whether it be at my church or whether it be on duty, it doesn't make a difference. I want to take shots that are only good shots and I want to be disciplined yeah. on them and I want to be fast and all the things. So I'm out there doing that. 
And this woman from headquarters, I called her up and she didn't know what I recorded her for an hour and eight minutes. Cause that's, uh, you know, she's in a one party consent state. And so am I, so yeah. let's do this. So I, I recorded her and she started counseling me and she was like, you, all the things you're doing, because I'd already gone public with the media. She's like, um, you know, my son is crying in the background while this, like, while this taping is going on. It's kind of funny. Cause I put it all on the internet. It's like, yeah. screw it. It's like, I'm, I'm hundred percent transparent. Here's the body cam footage of what I did. Like people can go see it. If you're new to our channel, go back and look. It's uh, there's a whole thing. It's called why I got suspended. Uh, and then it mixes in the this woman's conversation with me. And she's like, all the things you're doing, just, you need to stop moving. <laughs> and I, and she was like, you're making things more complicated for yourself. And I'm like, no, I'm making it really simple. I only have one path forward. It's incredibly loud. And it's full transparency, radical transparency, things yeah. that you guys are not comfortable with me on. Last night, I publicized a uh, an email that I forgot I had, um, and I redacted the names of people that I like, and I left the names of the people that are the senior executives that were in it, including the phone number for the chief diversity officer, who's a former FBI agent, and then got promoted because he's a black guy to be in charge of diversity, of all things. And they said in the email, we are going to hire people from um, historically black uh, colleges and universities over any other applicants, regardless of the year and major. Because uh, because diversity, because we need to hire black people, which is insane to me. Because I had great friends the on my you know on my squads who were black, but it wasn't because they were black; it's because they were just awesome guys. Like they were yeah. just good dudes. And there was a couple of good girls that I worked with that were actually at the uh, you know girls, gals, whatever that were at my academy class, and they were studs. Like they were fast and they could shoot and they could wrestle and they were like the things you want to work with. And yeah. who cares what color your skin is? I thought that was the whole point of what I grew up in in the eighties. I thought yeah. we were over that. And right. then we've got this email, and it literally says regardless of their um of their their major and regardless of the year of study these people need to be interviewed for the job and with the implicit sort of like that you have to hire them amazingly at least to me um that is an incredibly incredibly valuable and competitive program so like we would get people that had you know master's degrees yeah. coming out of Yale and security studies that yeah. had 8 10 years of like military experience and then went back to grad school and then they come out for this internship because you get a top secret security clearance yeah. And you can walk into a you can walk into a six-figure government job with it. And we are giving them out to people based on race. So I published that too. It's like screw it. Like all radical transparency, everything should be explicit. The louder you are, the safer you are. And you're exactly right with that instinct, I think. Because they don't know what to do with it. Like, yeah. I mean, I also think that like talking about radical transparency, from what I've learned about the FBI, and again, this is just like as someone who's been on the other side of an investigation, like it was really mind-blowing to me that. When the government, when the FBI interviews someone, even in this modern age where we all carry recorders in our pockets, the government, the FBI doesn't record the interview. They take notes and then those notes are typed up into a memo. And then that memo is the official record of what happened. This is my recorder. I recorded every interview that I could. I brought my Thank own. You. I paid for it with my own money. You know why? Because I can send it to the defense attorney and we don't have any disagreement about what was said. I mean, so like, why wouldn't every agent want to do that? Why wouldn't the agent? It was $85. I make plenty of good money when I was working as an agent. I had a six-figure gig and I could afford an $85 thing and I would put it on the table and I would say the same thing every single time. I'd like to record this with your permission. I will send yeah. you a copy of it. Please give me a business card or an address right now and you will get a copy of it and I'll send one to your defense attorney I mean, on the government's dime. It's easy days. That is like that, that to me would revolutionize the FBI. You want to know another thing? It's policy that they do it, that they record. It's Wait, the, what? But the policy. Yeah. It's permissive policy though. It's a, it's a may, but not shall. And here's why it says when uh, feasible, all interviews should be recorded. 
So all they have to say is, well, like I didn't get a government issued recorder. We don't issue them. And so it's not feasible if we did a field interview. I brought this, I recorded phone interviews. I would put it on speaker. I would let people know exactly what's going to happen. Hey, I'd like to record this for your, you know, for our, both of our safety. I want yeah. you to have a copy of it. And then I would do direct quotes out of it when I did my 302. The 302 right. is the testimonial document that you would, that you received um, along with those notes. But I, I don't take notes. Why? I have the words. That's so, I mean, it so, that's so it doesn't smart. matter. I'm just paying attention to what you say. Yeah. And then we'll go back and we'll just see what that conversation looked like. Like, I'm pretty good at talking to people. I've got a pretty good memory. That's why I got hired. And moreover, your defense attorney can hear exactly what it was you said. And when I would do it with a, an attorney present, I would tell them right on front on the camera or on the, uh, on the recording. It's, it's like, listen. This is your client. Your job is to protect your client. My job is to ask your client questions. Please make sure that they refer to you before answering anything if you want them to. Like put a hand up and I won't, I'll just wait. Like I just care about the truth. I don't get paid by winning the cases. There's See, literally no incentives. I don't care. So like the thing is, is like if it's about the truth, like that's the way the system is supposed to work. Like in our case, I know from the emails that like when Amazon accused my husband of a crime to avoid a million, hundred million dollars in damages, the prosecutors in the Eastern District of Virginia lined up their press office. Of course. I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah, that's I don't have time for that. That's not what I signed up for. Um, right. And I know there's a lot of people that didn't. The problem is plenty of people are going to look down the barrel and say, well, if I have a big case, I can brief it forever. I can take a headquarters position. I can go be a program manager or a unit chief. I can come back in and be a supervisor of a squad. I can promote to ASAC. And like, I what can are they go literally- work at Amazon. <laughs> I mean, that's, right. that's the other thing. That's right? the other piece, right? So that's not that, that would never even factor into my brain that existed yeah. until recently. But that is a that is a thing that goes on because um, we've been watching out like the guy uh, who used to run the Washington field office who would have been in charge during this time, Steve D'Antuano. He just went and became a partner. What was the uh, where do you go, Phil? What's he where he's a partner at? Yeah, KPNG. So he went and, and yeah, like what the hell does he know about accounting? I can promise you nothing. Right. Like not he hasn't done accounting in in fifteen years. He hasn't been working cases in 15 years. So they're not bringing a skill set, but right. it's so easy to record just dialing back into what's so crazy. And so you experience this in a funny way, um, not funny, but like quirky, I would say that they're out there taking notes and that notes got scanned in. So you got a copy of that in your discovery. Well, we never, like, so we actually never did because Carl was so, never charged with a crime. And that, and so of the, course, the, right. The way, the way we that's got, what, that's what you would have gotten though. That's what we would have gotten. And the way that, the way that we got all the emails between Amazon and DOJ is that when Amazon could not get the criminal charges they were spending millions lobbying for. They sued everyone in civil court. They did not move that case forward while they were in the background meeting with DOJ, but they kept the lawsuit going to try to like deprive people of money, essentially. And we have forced that into trial. It is going to trial on May 1st. Like the defendants mm -hmm. have forced it to a trial date. So that's coming to a head. Right? That's which, very fun. Which is great. And we're, my husband is so looking forward to his day in court. Um, um, let's yeah, and, let, and let's plan on doing another one of these and, yeah. and doing a reaction because I want I want the I want part two the wrap up when you guys yeah. actually see yeah. what happens. I'm but, sure they'll but, appeal it whatever that happens, but but during the in, in in between just to wrap that part up, like we did litigate when your money is taken by civil forfeiture and you're not charged with a crime, the government has to file a civil lawsuit against the bank account. So the bank account is the defendant, right? And then you as the human being have to pay for the bank account's defense and. We did that. And so the government say, say that one more time for people to like grasp, because I, I don't think it's easy to grasp it. Um, civil asset forfeiture. The defendant is a is a, a non thing. It's a bank account. It's a house. It's like the address of a house. So ours it's, is like it's US, your Ferrari. Yeah. It's, yeah, it was like USB for like they choose one of the they seize multiple bank accounts of ours. So it was like USB four thousand seven hundred and eighty dollars at Wells Fargo. And that's the case. Right. 
So then the government, they filed the complaint and then they stayed the complaint. They didn't want to litigate it. And the judge gave them six months. Then they stayed it again and they wanted six more so months. So they're kicking this down the can so that you're we, still can, dealing with- nothing we can do, right? Nothing we can do. So the government the second time was like, you get four months. And then that four months was up and I was like, yes, we get to litigate. We get, I want them to prove, I see if they prove their case. And when it's a civil burden, so it's just more likely than not, right? It, yeah, preponderance of the evidence, right? The day, the day comes that the government has to prove their case and they're like, do you want to settle? So we were like, we want. By the way, they're they're terrified of going to trial. Um, so, my buddies who were AUSAs told me that the new generation of U.S. attorneys and the new generation of assistant U.S. attorneys, which is the frontline prosecutors, they have zero court experience. A lot of them, they are used to plea deals, like you said, yeah. and they are so scared of being like put up against, you know, legitimate defense attorneys who used to actually go to court because it used to be that like that's where the battle is. Yeah, you know, as it like for be. the F for, for the FBI agent, it's it's like I want to go to court. If you yeah. like, like first of all, I want to come and win right away. I want to be able to show you so much stuff that you don't have any choice. That's right. really good if you have a righteous case. But if they're going to contest it, you know, that's the that's where you get to show like, hey, we did really good work here. Mm -hmm. And when you don't have it, when it's not there, there is nothing scarier. I have to imagine than knowing that your reputation and your future jobs as a defense attorney and whatever else that you think you're going to go do, you're about to lose. You're going to have a losing court record and it's not going to be a lot against a lot. It's going to be pled yeah. down 98% lost every time I went out in front of a jury. That's not yeah. good. Yeah. And so like they, they said, do you want to settle? And we wanted to ask for hundred percent back and we didn't think we'd get it. So we're like, fine, we'll ask for 85% back. The government did not negotiate. They just gave us 85% back. And we had to sign something saying we wouldn't sue them. Right. Isn't that something? So all they did was deprive you of your resources, take 15% of 15 of your net worth, I assume. Yeah. And then after Amazon got the civil forfeiture, then Amazon sued my husband in civil court. So they, they deprived my husband of being able to defend himself against a trillion dollar company in civil court. Like. It's disgusting. It's so gross. It's so, un and here's, you know, I know it, it's I, unfair and we know it's unfair, but it like everybody, everyone goes, yeah, of course it's unfair. You go like, yeah, but you haven't experienced it. Like there's a fundamental part of your body that knows what fairness is. Like human beings know from a very young age, your, your little children know if you yeah. gave one person a biscuit and the other one didn't get a biscuit, like they'd be pissed. Yeah. Even well, if they, they don't like biscuits. My eight year old, I, we, we did that last night. I'm just saying. <laughs> My oldest, I just, I, I mess with my oldest all the time. I'm like, sorry, we're out of biscuits. Oh. <laughs> no biscuits. My oldest is eight now and she knows, she knows now. They know what's and, right um, and wrong. She knows what's right and wrong, but she knows about what's going on with Amazon. And she, the, the thing she always asks me is why, why wouldn't Amazon talk to daddy when they thought he did something wrong? Why did they make accusations without talking to daddy? Isn't and that I'm the like, thing that we would you know teach what? them to do? Well, and my, in one of my latest emails to Jeff Bezos, I asked him that. I, I pointed out what my eight-year-old asked because it's worse than that. When my husband, when the FBI showed up at our house on April 2nd, my husband had his lawyers call Amazon and say, I would like to talk to you. I don't understand this, what this is about, but I, I'm happy to share anything with you, like, you know, everything. And Amazon's lawyer said, we will not speak to you unless you are pleading guilty to a crime. Isn't that something? That's so disgusting. Yeah. That's why I think it's like the most clear example of corporate weaponization of DOJ that you could ever see. It's just And gross. I am and I have to imagine that the, for the one of you there's nine and a half other people that rolled over and didn't get to that point even though they were right to. Well, I believe so. Like in this instance nobody rolled over, but like I I 100% believe Well, I'm so. saying not in your case. I'm saying yeah. in other in the other cases because this is a tech here's the thing that we know. Like you don't try techniques that fail. 
Yeah, you try 100. techniques that are effective. Like these are companies; they they adjust their fire and they, and they make you know accurate shots. So this this had a probability of winning that was beyond oh you know a reasonable doubt for them. It was almost a hundred percent, right? Because they mm -hmm. accused multiple people, each with a ninety eight point two percent. You know, if you get one person to plead guilty, you're gonna right, yeah, and and they're basically playing stacked odds that like any one right. of them could have fallen. And I and yeah. it's funny because I always say to my husband like, what was their plan B? He's like, they had no plan B because they don't and lose. They don't lose. Amazon never expected to go to trial in the civil case. The government never expected to be here. They never like they don't give. I'll just point this out. The government does not give money back in civil forfeiture. Like it barely no ever not. happens. Like right? we were told, no matter what, we would probably never get a dime back. Mm -hmm. It's just going to be the way it was going to be. I would agree with that. That's that's the, my limited experience, but being you know tangentially uh, associated with people that did that kind of work, and, and usually it's because the people have no case to stand on because they're gangsters or they're yep. drug dealers or whatever they are. Yeah. I, mean, that's, 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 <laughs> I mean, that's what happens. So the odds that somebody yeah. even stood up to the process is probably just like completely foreign to the to the civil asset uh, coordinator in yeah. the in the field office who probably hasn't had to deal with this before. Like contested, yeah. what are you talking about? Oh my god, there are emails between the the, the forfeiture prosecutor and Amazon that are now public where like the, the, the prosecutor wrote to Amazon's lawyer, we seized the money too early. <laughs> what? What does that even mean? Like you didn't have probable cause, but you didn't like, but like, no, it means that they, they overshot their hand. They took their shot when the, you know, when it wasn't lined up and that's obviously what's the case. It's just, it's, it's so incredible. Um, It's, it's incredible how many parallels, you know, you, you're fighting it from the outside of it. I'm watching it from the inside, but um you talk about like th they had no backup plan. They have no backup plan for me. It's like suspend his security clearance, take away his money, and then he'll just go away. That's what they do. They just resign and they go get another job somewhere and they're not our problem. And so it's what like, are they going to do with you? <laughs> yeah, it's like, guess what, suckers? Like I had money put away. I've been doing this for a long time. And like, I thought that as a national security person, it's my responsibility to be able to go for a couple of years without a paycheck. Like I'd be a fool to think that I'm going to be able, like I, I made $30,000 a year before I got hired on by the FBI. You know, I I made a hundred thousand dollars working as a financial analyst. I made eighteen thousand dollars when I was twenty seven and enlisted in the military, and I did that for almost four years. So I made no money, and you yeah. really learn how to adjust your life onto nothing. And then my wife and I were working together, and um, she made thirty, and I made thirty. She was like a like a nonprofit counselor in Texas, yeah. so we didn't make any money. I was working on on an ambulance, like you don't make any money doing an ambulance, and I helped people in the ER, and that was cool. And then. You know, she got a job with Aetna working as a counselor, like over the phone, and they paid her $55,000 a year, which was the most either one of us has ever made. And we're like, we're killing it. And then yeah. so I stopped working. I went to the FBI. When I got the FBI job, she stopped working. She started having babies. Yeah. And, and literally, you know, my last salary is 120, 125. Like these are all public records. So I just say yeah. I was a 13 one in, in, you know, any other part of the US. So I'm making $120,000 a year, which is not a lot of money, but it was yeah. more than enough for what we had done. I mean, yeah. we were doing fine. I bought guns left and right. People were like, where's your money coming from? I'm like, I saved like crazy. We have a very inexpensive life. You know, mm -hmm. we have a zero down mortgage from the VA because I was a disabled vet. And mm -hmm. uh, my wife doesn't buy anything. She buys organic foods. That's her luxury item. She doesn't buy shoes. She doesn't buy purses. <laughs> she doesn't buy clothes. I probably spent more money on clothes this year than, well, last year at least, than my wife did like the whole time I've known her. She just doesn't spend money. So what? we're frugal. Yeah. That's it. And then we yeah. were able to go do this thing. And so now they don't know what to do. They're like, um... Yeah. So this guy, you know, like I have friends that are like, they know when I like the, the FBI director has been briefed on my name and that I'm a problem. Um, you're wait, pro wait you're a problem. And like, that's, the I am, but wait, wait till tomorrow because tomorrow we're, we're putting out a, a, I may or may not be working with a daily wire on a story that they did that they're quoting me on. But uh, Chris Ray is going to have to answer for, you know, somewhere upwards of a million and a half dollars of discretionary spending on his jet that he shouldn't have done. So we're pushing the envelope forward. Like you say, you're in the fight. You might as well be loud. 
Yeah. Uh, here's the other problem. They didn't work with me that hard when I was at the FBI. So I spent a lot of time looking around and figuring out where the bodies are buried and wrong guy to mess with. It turns out. Cause like one, I actually do have some principles. My principles are just my own. It's like, I don't want to get a COVID shot. I don't think anybody should be mad about it. If you don't want to hang out with me, I'll tell you up front. You don't have to, you don't have to hang out with me. Uh, but I already had COVID and uh, I have some, you know, religious problems with it. I have some medical issues. Uh, we'll see where they all go. And I, I don't wish ill on anybody. Right. But when they when they came to shove that thing down, I was like, no, I'm not doing that. Like, you can fire me. It's fine. But they can't fire you because I, they have to go through due process because I was a federal employee. So they removed due process. Same as you. They went end around. They pulled my security clearance, which I have no right to. So there's I mean, no due process about a security clearance. That's it. There's a, there's, a, like, there's a court well, case. Like, well, they have these methods always of like trying to like kill you by slicing you at the ankles enough times that you fall down and can't get back up. Yeah, it's death by a thousand cuts. It's pull your Just, paycheck and let you starve. Yeah. My my attorney called it the wither on the vine technique. <laughs> and and he's like, yeah, they'll just they'll just put you out to pasture. They'll suspend you indefinitely. So like technically, you know, the FBI can, I, I'm on the FBI's register. It's uh, 277 days since I've been back into an FBI office. My buddies are keeping count for me. It shows it on the ticker. There's a little like, you know, Skype link. Yeah. Um, you'd have like your buddy list and the buddy list will tell you how many days you've been offline. And mine's 277 as That's of today. Crazy. I have to leave in like eight minutes. I'm so sorry. Yes. I, I don't want, no, this is perfect. I think we did. I, have, I think we did good justice to your story. I'm looking forward to a second wrap up. Uh, tell people where they can follow you and, and where they can see some more of your, your stuff and what's going on. Yeah. You can follow me on all channels, Instagram, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Amy underscore K underscore Nelson. And my company is the riveter.co and we are a membership network. Um, that advances and amplifies working women. And so if women are starting a company, they can come and they can click on your website and, and connect with you guys. Yeah, we have um, courses, yeah. courses, connections, all sorts of tools. It's a super welcoming community. Everybody belongs there. We just want to help women make money. I want to help make women make money too. That sounds yeah. great. <laughs> so, women yeah. who want to make money should be able to make money if they want to do it. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. That's all wonderful. We're going to put those links down in the description. So folks, if you will look in the description on our Rumble channel, you'll see them there. Um, Amy, thank you so much for spending time with us. I'm sure it's also pee break time. That's just the nature of these things. So <laughs> that's, once you sit long enough and the coffee kicks yeah. in or gets through the middle of the day, uh, thanks so much for sharing your story. And I appreciate you being so open and honest and, and transparent about it all. And uh, I'm really sorry what your family has gone through. But uh, like I said, the Seraphim family loves you now. Uh, we're all in this together. We really are. It's such a strange time. Um, we got to hit them from every angle. So God bless you. And uh, you know, God bless your little girls and your husband. And uh, thank God for fighting. And uh, we will talk to you uh, when this court case comes through. Thanks so much, Kyle. Yeah, loved it. All right, folks, uh, make sure you listen to, if you uh, enjoyed what you heard, please share it with your friends. Go ahead and do the like, subscribe, all the things that Phil always tells us. Phil, you have anything you want to run out with? Yeah, I do. Just a reminder that we are still taking five-star reviews like this one from AP711. A Fed on your side, Kyle and the Suspendables have a great sense of humor. The show gives you perspective of the federal Leviathan, which has morphed into the deep state. I never would have guessed that I would agree so wholeheartedly with an FBI agent. Kudos for listening with uh, your, or rather kudos for listing your preferred cartridges, Kyle. Also the give, send, go is still out there. You can find the link in the description box below, whether it's the rumble channel or your favorite podcatcher. And we got to remind everybody, you can go to the Kyle show.com to get the latest merch. You may see Kyle and Steve and other guys wearing this pretty soon. We'll see. Yeah. In front of Congress. All right, Amy, we're going to let you go. We thank you so much and uh, God you. bless you. Have a, have a wonderful Sunday. You too. Okay. Thanks so much. Bye.